and I agree with what you said. There, there has been a historical paradigm that has framed sustainability in a variety of very different ways. Predominantly around, it seems to be mostly around increased costs. In order for us to achieve, whether it's our carbon reduction goals, our packaging design goals, uh, historically it's been around what's going to cost us more. And where we're starting to think through is like, how can we grow? And I think that's the, that's to me is one of the biggest takeaways and learnings. If we think of sustainability as a growth engine, we bring the broader organization together and move faster towards achieving those goals. You're listening to Transform Talks, the podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. This week, my guest is Kurt Ritter. Kurt is the VP and General Manager Sustainability North America at the Coca-Cola Company. Now, we all know Coke. We know Coca-Cola. It's one of the largest beverage companies in the world. In total, they offer a remarkable 500 brands in more than 200 countries and territories. And some of these brands include, of course, Fanta, Sprite, and Vitamin Water. Kurt has worked for Coca-Cola for over 15 years, and he's currently responsible for overseeing the company's North American sustainability initiatives. Anyone working in the corporate space will know just how difficult it is to connect with senior members of Coca-Cola's team, and it's for this reason that I'm delighted to have Kurt on this show. Such is the company's size and influence that whatever they do tends to influence the rest of the market. Thankfully, as you'll soon hear, Coca-Cola is working tirelessly on becoming more sustainable and have come up with a number of targets and goals to help them get there. During the episode, Kurt and I discuss his key takeaways from recent events, the work that is going into achieving Coca-Cola's ambitious ESG goals, and the thought process behind the company's recent Recycled Records campaign. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Kurt, welcome to Transform Talks. Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to be with you, Maria. So, you know, before we started rolling, you and I were having a chat. As a matter of fact, we were having such a good chat that I felt like I probably should have started rolling when you and I first started talking. But why don't you tell me a little bit about how someone who has an operational background, finance background, is in sustainability? So I've been fortunate. I've spent 20 years of my professional career with a Coca-Cola company, uh, frankly, straight out of graduate school, and uh, always saw myself pursuing a bit more of a general finance, marketing, sales operations, which is really where I spent most most of my first 20 years. But I think any any individual, if you're seeking to constantly learn, develop, be uncomfortable, you should look for other other opportunities. And so for me, uh, this came as a as an incredibly exciting opportunity about a year ago to step up and lead our sustainability team across North America, and uh, and it's fun. It's a it's a, an incredibly uh, fun topic, and it, it's been um, a great past year for me. The way we think about it for us, we have a set of some really ambitious goals as a company globally, and what my team and I do is really uh, look at how do we operationalize those goals into our business here, specifically in North America, so in the United States and Canada, 
so that that we can uh, really drive an end-to-end -end sort of approach from from planning to strategy to execution in our system. I love what you said there about operationalizing because so many companies and so many people talk about sustainability. I think we've moved away from, thankfully, from talking should we work on sustainability initiatives to we must. But I feel that there's a sort of gap between some organizations that are still talking about it and those that are operationalizing. So it's really, I applaud you for using that word and for the work that no doubt you're probably doing within your organization to operationalize sustainability initiatives. You know, I want to talk a little bit about an event that you just went to. You went to Circularity, which I think is an event that was held in Seattle last month bringing together some of the biggest names in sustainability and creating a circular economy. What were your key takeaways? Because I go to quite a lot of conferences and it's just a topic that we talk about regularly. So it'd be interesting to hear what uh, people were saying at your conference. Frankly, Maria, in order to truly operationalize the goals that we have, which are bold and they're ambitious and they can seem extremely daunting uh, in the years away that they're set forth, but uh, you have to be curious and you have to look externally and learn. Uh, there's a lot of great examples of what other companies are doing around the world or uh, entities in the, in the industry. And uh, if you don't get out and listen, learn, and sort of take in those ideas, I, I don't think we'll be successful in many ways. So for me and my team, um, Green Biz Circularity in Seattle is one of those really great uh, industry events where I, I have to say some of the brightest leaders from not only CPG companies, but from nonprofit groups and, and, and lots of organizations come together and share really fantastic ideas on how to solve complex problems facing us jointly, while also talking about progress in areas where we are seeing progress. So, so we always learn something when we leave these events and, and uh, we always have something to bring back and, 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 and determine like, can we go and apply this into our business and how could that look if we, we actually approached uh, this opportunity from what we've learned at these events. So I love coming away from from those uh, engagements with with some really good uh, and and uh, impactful ideas. Yeah, you always walk away pumped. I know I do. Really, really excited about talking to people that are thinking the same thing you are, or maybe helps validate some ideas, etc. But you know what? I'm I'm going to age myself here a little bit because I can tell you I remember the little glass bottles of Coke, when that's when all you got Coke, Coca-Cola in the little glass bottles, or if not, when I was living in South America, that that's what we did. We would just return the bottles, you know, you recycle the bottles. Uh, so it seems like Coca-Cola has been on a, a journey of sustainability for a long time. So it'd be interesting to hear about uh, the big ambitious goals you've got now, like what I was uh, hearing from an interview you did that what was it, the company's goal is to, to be able to collect and recycle every single bottle uh, or can that is sold by 2030, that's huge. No, you're right, Maria. And, and in fact, a lot of the topics that were um, discussed at Green Biz Circularity was around reuse. I mean, recycling is incredibly important, uh, especially in, in, in the beverage bottle business, but so is the concept of reuse. And I think across CPG, you're seeing a, a trend around how innovations are beginning to form around reusable packaging. And, and uh, I often think back to the fact that one of the first ever perfectly created reusable packages, which what you mentioned was 1903 when- I'm not that old. I'm not that old, Kurt. But that's when we launched our first ever returnable glass bottle in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And, and, and to your point, 
that business platform has over time changed when effective and industry sort of efficiencies around aluminum packaging and, 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 and PET packaging became to emerge in, in the in the 70s and 80s. And, and sort of we have still kept that returnable business platform in many parts of the world. But uh, as we most of us know here in North America, uh, we don't have that anymore. So now now that's a concept that's being explored. When you think about uh, the notion of collection and, and, and our goal to have every single bottle and can that we sell that we put in the market be collected back, really it's it's an imperative because for all of us to achieve the goals that we have, whether it's at our company, our industry peers or others of recycled content, it's just not a reality for us to achieve those goals together unless we increase the actual collection and recycling back. Our packages has a value post its, it, it, its consumed use and we just need to make sure that that model of circularity begins to, to accelerate. Right now, it's not where it needs to be. Recycling rates, specifically in North America, are, are unfortunately still very low. So uh, that's a big goal we have, and we're working to um, across the industry to really drive recycling infrastructure in all the communities around households, curbside, and so forth. Well, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. It's at least important that you're thinking about it, that you're acting it, and that you're acting upon it and implementing it. I know that uh, Coca-Cola is part of the American Beverage Association, which funds a lot of ESG initiatives. Now, the reason I ask that or the reason I bring it up is because I don't think we're going to be able to deliver on our ESG commitments as sole entities, right? So how much of the sustainability you know, movement's future, do you think, will come down to companies pulling together their efforts to maybe increase collaboration as opposed to working in independent silos? Such a great question. What I mentioned earlier, so spending the first 15 to 20 years of my career more on the operational commercial side, I don't think it's a, it's a big secret that in the beverage industry, it's quite competitive. We have some incredible competitors uh, in, in our industry uh, who you want to win against every day. Frankly, that's what we go out to do. Uh, that said, uh, stepping into this role, something that has been an incredible positive surprise for me is to see the level of actually collaboration that takes place specifically in the in the field of sustainability. It's as if it's the one topic that we can all come together, customers, beverage manufacturers, NGOs, and, and, and stack hands and say, we won't solve this unless we do it together, unless we create models together. So for instance, as you mentioned with the American Beverage Association, which all of the primary US-based beverage companies are part of, we've, we put out something we call Every Bottle Back. This is really an industry initiative uh, meant to scale upwards of $100 million investments that we're putting out there to really drive, like I said, recycling behavior, but also fund a lot of great organizations. One that, that I think is doing the best job or really great work is the Recycling Partnership, which we collectively provide a lot of funding towards. And then the Recycling Partnership can take that funding and pool it and scale it across grants that can have a much bigger impact on, for instance, beverage bottle collections than we would probably be able to have independently in a silo by ourselves. Well, I think... Given that it's such an important topic, right? It's it's something that is so vital to everybody on this planet. Acting alone isn't going to be the best way to do things quickly because we're up against time, you know a clock here. This isn't something that is 
uh, you know, hopefully will solve for the next hundred years. We have a ticking time bomb on our hands here. I, I do love the fact that you have this operational and financial background because I know that a lot of companies struggle with their big dreams and ambitions and then operationalizing it because there's little empathy maybe with the people that are actually doing the job. So do you think that having had that operational background, that finance background, and having worked within Coca-Cola, like you say, for such a long time, do you think that's a, an added advantage uh, in the sustainability role? I do, Maria. And part of that is, uh, let me quickly explain to your listeners. We are uh, a company that operates within a system that we, that we oftentimes refer to as the Coca-Cola system. And um, in the United States specifically, uh, where we are incredibly interconnected is with our, our Coca-Cola bottlers. And these are independently owned companies that have been around really since uh, 1902, uh, generations of families that are owning and operating local Coca-Cola bottling businesses. And so for us, we work extremely closely together on, on, on how we operationalize sustainability through the way that we design our brands, packaging, where we partner with customers, uh, but also how the product ends up on the shelf in partnership with their entire supply chain. And seeing how I spent most of my 15 plus years working with Coca-Cola bottlers, more on the operation side, they have a large business to run and, and sustainability has to be something that gets woven and embedded into that, to that business model. Because at the end of the day, there's a consumer and a shopper that's actually looking for companies making decisions at the retail store about packaging that they feel meets what they want to have in their pantry, in their kitchen, in their fridge, based on its sustainable impact and 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 so forth. So, for me, that's been a uh, I would say an advantage to your point because we have an opportunity to actually grow our business because of what we're doing around sustainable packaging and the design. And, and, and how we communicate that back with the consumer and our shoppers through our bottlers. I want to move the, the conversation on to something else that I found quite interesting, which is that I know that last year Coca-Cola partnered with Mark Ronson and Madlib to launch Recycled Records. Now, the result was an original uh, EP made up of sounds taken from the recycling process. First of all, walk me through why, <laughs> and then walk me through how. Oh, that was such an incredibly fun project to be a part of. And I actually never thought in my first three months in a sustainability role that we would be making videos with uh, worldwide renowned music producers to tell a story uh, about why recycling matters. But really where the process began is we have a portfolio, we had a portfolio rather, Maria, of plastic packaging that was previously uh, green colored. So you can think back to the Sprite bottle, uh, other brands like Fresca and Mellow Yellow, and green plastic isn't actually recyclable back into a new beverage bottle the way that clear plastic is. So we made the decision to truly operationalize what we've committed to. In order to drive more post-consumer recycled content, we also have to have packaging that can actually become a new bottle. So we made the decision to transform all our green packaging to clear packaging on Sprite and other brands last year. But one of the, the issues we faced was how do we help educate the consumer as to why that matters. So what we did is we hired um, sound engineers that actually traveled around to all the facilities across our system that is involved in the bottle-to-bottle -bottle recycling process. And then they recorded sounds from that entire process. Think of a 
of a bale of plastic strap being cut or machines making a flake or, 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 or crushing a bottle. And then Mark Ronson and Madlib took all those sounds and they curated them into sort of the recycled record. So a sample sound library that then they took and further looped and sort of distorted these recycling sounds into actual songs and 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 they made a collection there and so it's and and that was a really unique way for us to tell that story to a rather different audience that otherwise we probably wouldn't reach i love it i love it because it's original i love it because it's also operationalizing like you say doing it and i love it because you're including the consumer here you know we we, we need to take people with us in this journey and not just do things i bet you it helped also with your with your internal, you know, with your employees as well to do something, see something so cool. Now, do you think that these types of campaigns are the most effective way of maybe getting more on board with the sustainability message? By the way, I'm going to interrupt this question to say, because those of you that are listening are not watching, that Kurt is representing Coca-Cola in every sense of the word with sipping on his Coke while he's in this podcast. So I find that to be amazing. Unfortunately, he didn't send me one. But and I didn't have enough time to run down to my fridge to get one. But anyway, go ahead. I have a feeling some are on its way. <laughs> I do love my Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. That is, in fact, my favorite, my favorite drink. I I do think Maria that in order for us to create generational change, we have to talk about sustainability in a much more relevant way that people can connect to. Uh, it tends to become a topic that is hard to relate to in some ways, and it's it's for for consumers it's difficult to. Um, to understand what they can do differently as well. Uh, so we so we have really tried to focus on different ways that, that brings a lighter message. We had a video last year with Bill Nye, uh, who my kids love and absolutely adore. And he helped us just tell a story about how does recycling work in the United States? What happens to the bottle? Where does it go? And it was an animated video. And we've done that in several other ways. And we will continue to do that because we we really believe in the, in the notion of education unpackaged circularity and that has to be something we continuously put out in a fun and a relatable way you know i did a podcast a couple of uh weeks ago i think it was with dr wayne visser you know he talked about sustainability and the circular economy and uh, the episode is out now by the way and during that conversation he and i spoke about the need to start to reframe sustainability you know i made the point that for the longest time it's been or it's always felt like it's been fear-mongering, right? We've relied on fear-mongering as the primary technique to motivate people to take action. But the campaigns that you just discussed are like the best campaign, I think, to try to educate people around us uh, internally, externally about sustainability. I, I wanna jump to maybe asking about challenges, right? Because it's not gonna be easy anyway. What advice would you give to um, other organizations that are struggling to operationalize their sustainability initiatives? And I agree with what you said. There, there has been a historical paradigm that has framed sustainability in a variety of very different ways. Predominantly around, it seems to be mostly around increased costs. In order for us to achieve, whether it's our carbon reduction goals, our packaging design goals, uh, historically, it's been around what's going to cost us more. And where we're starting to think through is like, how can we grow? And I think that's the, that's to me is one of the biggest takeaways and learnings. If we think of sustainability as a growth engine, we bring the broader organization together and move faster. 
towards achieving those goals. One thing you may have seen in some of the markets, which has been a big focus of ours, and, and I think this can be said for a lot of companies, is uh, we begin to design packaging made from 100% post-recycled material. So a, a PET bottle that is made from 100% recycled plastic. Uh, it's in our Dasani bottle today. It's coming more increasingly in our Coca-Cola bottle. And in fact, consumers want that, Maria. And we see it, frankly, we track and see that, that in those markets, we actually see sales improvement. And we're turning something that costs more into something that can help us grow more because we're doing the right taking the right action around packaging design. And that would be one of my, my, my biggest uh, pieces of advice for others is to, to think of it as a growth driver when done in the right way. I love that because I think a lot of people feel kind of stuck at the moment. You know, they have, there's a lot of great ideas about with regards to sustainability, with regards to transformation, but companies or people within this company sometimes feel stuck. They don't know how to position the argument for change, right? Uh, whether that's to someone in finance, someone more senior, someone within their organization, even their teams, right? And I think that you've hit the nail on the head with discussing this, not just as a cost reduction or cost increase, but a value add, a uh, something that will actually add value to the organization. And I think sometimes that message is kind of forgotten. Uh, and I'm going to add something else in here, which is the risk associated with not doing something. I think Clearly, we're living in an era where reputational damage can happen in seconds on uh, social media. So I think it's imperative to, to take action, if not just to save the planet, right? Now, what's next? What's next for you? What's next for Coca-Cola? What are you going to be focusing on? We are just, at, frankly, and I feel this every day, at the beginning of this journey, in term, because it is a long journey. And, and sustainable packaging. When you think about our goals, uh, frankly, two, two things emerge quite simply. Everything for us starts with our natural ingredients, which in most cases is water. So we have, we have bold goals around water replenishment and how we, how we nurture and protect the water that we, that we use in the places where we make our product and how we support those ecosystems, but also our packaging. You've heard me say that a lot. We have to drive collection of our packaging we have to increase the amount of recycled content. And we've also made a big commitment back to using less packaging through having reusable packaging, Maria. So one area that's I feel uh, is really next for us, and you think about the United States specifically, where you may enjoy your Coca-Cola through what we would be considered a dispensing machine in a restaurant, uh, in a theater, in a theme park, at a mall, or, or, or at an amusement park. And um, that, to me, is an opportunity for us to find more reusable packaging vessels, the trend of having your own water bottle, which is a great way to eliminate landfill waste and so forth. How can we connect that with our dispensing technology? So we're looking at a lot of innovative R&D projects around simply how dispense technology of our beverages interact with the package that can be reused. So for us, that's an area of focus. Kurt, I wanna ask you a question because we've reached the end of the recording. But I'm going to finish on a question that I ask everyone else who's here, which is, why don't you tell me about a book that might have had an influence on your life, whether it's personal, a professional book, a gardening book, a Disney trivia book, whatever it is, uh, anything and, and why? If you would have asked me about a podcast before yours, I would have said my, my nine-year-old daughter's trivia podcast that I did do on Disney trivia. 
which I find, but hold on, wait, wait, hold on, give her a shout out because this is a big deal. How old is your daughter? And she's got her own Apple podcast. She was nine. She's 12 now, but she was nine and a half years old when she came home and said she wanted to start her own podcast. And um, not ever having done that myself, I didn't have a lot of faith in her ability to get it onto Apple's podcast platform. But lo and behold, she researched it and she did it all on her own. And she has plenty of episodes out there for uh, traveling families in the car wanting to engage in some family trivia. So she's done a great job and I'm really proud of her. There you go, supply chain and manufacturing. Supply chain manufacturing people, we've got kids, there's kids all over, so there's the podcast. So tell me about a book. I would love to. Um, right as I was going through college, I uh, became really good friends uh, with a um, person named Bonner Paddock. Bonner has written a book called One More Step. Uh, Bonner was actually born with cerebral palsy, Maria, uh, but that was something that he hid throughout his whole life. And as we became more closer and closer friends, he discovered uh, really how that had impacted his life and how he had felt like he had lived a lie and he started to really challenge himself to do things differently. He was a very ordinary guy that ended up breaking multiple world records as the first man ever to summit Mount Kilimanjaro. He ran the Kona Ironman and uh, published a book that became, and I remember sitting on an airplane reading his book and I was really weeping and crying Uh, just over how deep it was and how it moved me to know that someone who was, uh, in my mind, just an ordinary buddy has become this extraordinary human who has impacted millions of people's lives in Africa and built rehabilitation centers for people. And it's just one of those stories that I tell people because I just uh, love what he's done and how he's changed his life and is now changing the lives of others. So uh, that's a book that I will uh, always kind of recommend to some of my friends. Thank you for sharing, and I look forward to seeing some of this stuff in action. I look, I'm, I like Coca-Cola, so I will, uh, I'm one of your clients, so I will definitely look forward to seeing it. Thank you, Maria. It was a pleasure speaking with you. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I do hope you gained some valuable insight from this week's episode. To stay up to date with the latest developments, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Transform Talks. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so now. I'm always keen to connect with supply chain and business leaders from around the world. You can find me by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. And if you're lucky, I may let you know what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, wishing you a great week ahead. And as always, for those of you listening, I'll catch you at the next one.